with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about top executives of multinational companies like Apple are planning visits to China. What business opportunities are they pursuing? And we'll also talk with Vice President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China on his view about China's markets and economic recovery. And now let's begin with our top story. Top executives of multinational companies are planning visits to China as economic activities recover after the easing of the COVID-19 restrictions. The CEO of German car maker Volkswagen visited China from late January to early February. Apple CEO Tim Cook and Pfizer CEO Albert Bola will also follow suit and visit the world's top consumer market in the coming months. Meanwhile, China plans several business conferences, including the China Development Forum and the Boao Forum for Asia. This will also provide more opportunities for business leaders to plan their China visits. So, why are so many top executives of multinationals planning to come to China, and what business opportunities are they pursuing? How do they view the China market? For more on this, join us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So first, Ina, so many top executives of、uh, multinationals, you know, they are planning visit to China, including you know Apple CEO, Pfizer CEO, and Volkswagen. So what do you make of it, and and what do they want to achieve from their China visits? Well, it's all about markets. I mean, if you look globally,、uh, all the major superpowers, including Germany,、uh, Japan, South Korea, the U.S., they're all in deficit. These were countries that were, you know, powerhouses in terms of exports. Now, the only bright spot on the horizon in 2023 is really Asia,、uh, China at the kind of heart of it, and then、uh, ASEAN. So,、uh, there's a couple, a couple. Of reasons you have to kind of differentiate between why they're coming.、Um, Mercedes、uh, Group Vice President、uh, Group President is is coming.、Uh, as you, you mentioned the Volkswagen. They're in a situation where it's not competitive for them to produce automobiles in Europe because of the high、uh, prices, inflation, etc.、Uh, so they are literally shifting a tremendous amount of their manufacturing over to Asia as they kind of weather the storm and figure out how they're going and if they're going to be. Able to produce in Europe,、uh, Pfizer obviously big market.、Uh, they're looking to、uh, for the opportunities. Apple has had a bit of a resurgence.、Uh, Apple iPhones are、uh, doing very well in China. In fact, it's、uh, it's one of the bright spots for Apple. So it's once again market, market, market.、Mm-hmm. So market, 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 and Yan. So what do you think? Do those、uh, CEOs want to achieve from their、uh, China visits? Yeah, so I agree with Ina. So China has remained to be a very attractive, you know, FDI destination. So you know, in 2022, in dollar terms, China's FDI has gone up by eight、um, percent to reach 189、uh, billion dollars. 
And especially for the high-tech sector, we have seen a surge of uh, foreign direct investment going into high-tech, and that has gone up by 28%. So I think some of these uh, CEOs, some of these companies that you mentioned, um, they are here to, in China um, for two major reasons. Either they are market-driven, they're coming to, you know, um, trying to get a market share in selling their products on you know, the Chinese markets, or they're coming for, you know, product driven, like I know, uh, saying, um, they're coming to China, because this has remained to be a very efficient producer of many uh, products, right, ranging from consumer electronics to automotive automobiles. Um, so there are two different types of, you know, um, foreign uh, investments that are now uh, really returning to China or increase their establishments in China to take advantage of both um, the consumer demand, but also um, the efficient production. Mm. And Aina, so earlier you mentioned that uh, China has been an important market for multinationals for decades and even single biggest market for some like uh, Volkswagen. And for the uh, auto industry, how do you see the competition of the auto industry in China, especially from the local brands? Well, uh, in terms of within China, local brands are having a real resurgence. Uh, obviously, the luxury uh, brand segment is uh, still dominated by um, especially uh, German cars. But when you start looking internationally uh, at EV, electric vehicle sales, really the everything is tipping towards China, both as an efficient base and um, the ability to just pump out uh, all of these cars, they're, they're really making huge inroads into um, uh, every, every, all the developed markets just because of price and quality. Um, so in that sense, there is an opportunity for uh, companies like uh, Mercedes, um, not so much Volkswagen as they're steering more towards uh, electric. Um, but the excess capacity in the traditional automobile, the engine fired, is there. And that uh, allows them, you know, Mercedes and all these other companies to shift production uh, to China because there is this kind of excess capacity on the existing lines. EV lines are a little bit different. They might sh uh, share body, things like that, but the components are completely different. So it, it represents an opportunity as a shift, um, but overall global demand is going to be down. Uh, they're all preparing for it. That means that you have to tighten your belt um, and uh, you know produce at the lowest cost. China's continued efforts and emphasis on bringing down costs uh, bringing down power consumption, uh, increasing quality uh, without necessarily uh, increasing the uh, carbon footprint. Very, very attractive uh, mm. to companies. There isn't a lot of excess cash out there for people to be investing in, in you know, brand new uh, automobile factories, especially given uh, the fact that, uh, you know, combustion engines may be on, on their last uh, days or very limited uh, as things shift to EVs. Mm. And Aina, so Apple CEO Tim Cook's uh, planned visit also attract a lot of uh, attention. So will we see the global supply chains decoupling from China? Or should China be wary of some manufacturing companies moving their operations out of the country, such as Apple? Well, it, it's a little uh, more complicated than that because Apple doesn't mm -hmm. really produce anything. Uh, they do it through a uh, third party, um, through Terry Gu and his operation. Um, and those he's been, um, you know, pushing things to other locations, but they're not going to abandon China. China is a huge market. There's uh, all these concerns about political risks. And that, that's something that we, you know, we have to point out all these uh, 
uh, companies and chairmen and things like that, they're still very interested in the Chinese market, but they're not interested in the kind of um, political uh, risk that they're facing from, you know, the United States with increasingly, you know, hard uh, pressure tactics, uh, putting you know Chinese companies on the blacklist, saying that they don't want any other companies, including companies like uh, in Japan and and Holland, not to deal with China. Uh, th- this uh, really makes it very difficult for uh, you know very large entities to make uh, huge uh, investments. Uh, they're waiting on the side, but as I said, Apple is in a different situation because uh, the, the way that they produce through a third party. And so, yeah, what role do you think will China play in the global supply chains? So I think that China, again, remains a very important uh, producer in that global supply chain. Um, but China will move out of the you know, past uh, labor-intensive, low-skill kinds of production, um, the kinds of the notes in the supply chain that do not have a lot of value added, um, do not have a lot of skill premiums. Um, so I think China is going to try to move up on the, uh, you know, the, the, the letter, right, of the value added. And so I think China remains very competitive because of the network effect and also because of past dependency, meaning that, you know, China has been able to establish a very highly optimized supply chain. Um, we have a lot of skilled workers, the infrastructure that help to, you know, transport the products um, that include airports, pods, and high ports and high speed rail. Um, and it ha- also has established a really complete ecosystem of all these different component suppliers at a very competitive cost. So I think taking Apple as an example, mm. um, I agree with Aina. There are some political risks, and Apple has been talking about, you know, expanding the production um, to countries like Vietnam or India. Uh, but what is interesting is when you look at the percentage of the production sites in China, we did see a decline from about 50% back in 2019 to now apparently only 36% in 2021. But that's just the number or the percentage of the production sites. When you look at the actual amount, the production capacity, um, there's still about 80% of iPhone that are made just in one city in China, which is Zhengzhou. Um, and over 90%, close to 95% of the total iPhone supply still comes from China. So in other words, um, there are some divestment, there are some, you know, uh, lo- relocation of the factories, but still the great majority of the production capacity remains in China. And so it would take really a long time. Um, Apple's long-term goal is, you know, to be able to ship about 40, 45% of iPhones from India uh, in the long term. Um, but right now, you know, India still account for less than 10% of that shipment. Mm. So I think, you know, China, uh, it's not impossible to replace, so to speak, but I don't think this is in the business's interest to completely divest away from China. What they want is probably a greater uh, varieties of suppliers. But I think, you know, it is in China's own interest um, to maybe no longer stay in some of the low value added, you know, highly polluting and low scale segments of the production. Mm. Actually, Yen, uh, ties between China and the U.S. have frayed, generating a lot of rhetoric about the notion of economic decoupling. However, we are seeing the trade volume between U.S. and China has hit a record high in the year 2022. What do you make of it and what does it tell us from the business and economic perspective? Right, absolutely. Um, so the U.S.-China trade, uh, total trade has actually reached 
uh, a record high of six hundred ninety point six billion dollars. That is only surpassed, you know, by two thousand eighteen's number. And the U.S. is having a deficit of three hundred eighty two point nine billion dollars against China. So I think what you mentioned there a moment ago, that political rhetoric, I think it's really the key, right? So I think decoupling is a lot more evident in the political statements um, than in the economic reality. Because I think what companies really want is they want to get the products from reliable suppliers in a timely fashion um, at a competitive cost uh, or price. Um, so I think, uh, as we just talked about, um, China Steel is a very important trading partner. It still is the powerhouse of manufacturing products in the world. Um, I think other than some of the small segment where the U.S. is going all out to ban, for example, semiconductor uh, chips exports to China. But overall, in terms of bigger picture, in terms of that trading relations, I think you know China is still very prominent. Um, we'll still see a lot of economic ties between the country, the two countries, um, despite the rhetoric of the decoupling. So, Aina, also the global investors have snapped up a record more than 20 billion U.S. dollars worth of Chinese equities so far this year. So why do you think are this a bullish sentiment for Chinese stocks and which sector are they eyeing for? Well, a lot of it is obviously in the technology area, but I mean, it's really an issue of where else can you go? Uh, you know, with uh, the, the developed nations, uh, which have been, you know, traditionally the centers of FDI for other nations, uh, growing at very modest to meek, um, you know, going to, in essence, trailing the uh, the global average. Um, they just they're just not attractive. So at this juncture, it's um, you know people are just trying to feel their way very tentatively, and China really is the only open water that they see. Mm. And the IMF and many international financial institutions like Morgan Stanley, uh, like Goldman Sachs, have raised China's economic growth forecast to 5 to 7 percent for this year. So, yeah, what's your estimation and what's the logic behind your prediction? Right. So I think the IMF's prediction is about 5.2 percent growth rate um, in you know 2023. Um, I think, you know, the logic has been two major reasons, right? One is there is the low base effect uh, because 2022, the growth rate was only 3%. So this is a very low base. So um, this year is gonna grow much faster than that 3%. Um, and second, of course, has to do with the, you know, China's pivot away from the zero COVID uh, uh, policy. So now the economy reopens and the markets uh, expected a quick and uh, strong rebound of consumer demand. And so that would be able to drive the economy forward. Um, of course, there are many headwinds um, when it comes to the real estate markets and uh, when it comes to, you know, the, the strained economic relationships with the United States. But I think nonetheless, um, the strategy um, that policymakers have uh, implemented, which is rely mostly on domestic demand, especially consumer demand. Mm. Um, I think that would, uh, you know, hold really a lot of promise, hold a lot of potential um, to, uh, you know, stimulate the Chinese economy forward. So we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. After a short break, we'll listen to what Jens Askeland, Vice President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, saying about his view on China's markets and economic outlook. Stay with us. I am Dan Wang, Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank China. 
The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. As China keeps optimizing its COVID-19 control measures and overall business environments, foreign companies are eyeing a promising future in the country. Earlier, I spoke with Jens Oskerland, Vice President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, about his view on China's markets and the economic bounce back this year. So, Jens,、uh, thank you very much for coming over to our show. You have been working in China for more than twenty years. So, what changes have you noticed in the business and the economic environment in China and the rest of the world in the past、uh, two or three years? I think、uh, when you talk just about the last、uh, two or three years,、uh, there's no way that、uh, you can avoid talking about COVID because I think COVID has been the big game changer and the sort of big black black swan event、uh, for all companies. Whether they are Chinese or foreign, and on, really on a global scale, we saw it first when、uh, COVID、uh, broke out in in early 2020, and where first、uh, everyone thought that production in China would fall through the floor、uh, because it was in China that the outbreak uh, happened uh, uh, first, and we saw in the beginning of 2020 that trade really dropped really fast. Uh, but then we also saw that while China was first into the cri- crisis, China was also first out of the crisis. So what、mm. we saw when it came to late summer in 2020 was that the rest of the world began to 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 close down, while uh, uh, China was able to、um, increase its production、uh, at the same time. So we actually saw、uh, in a few years、uh, after 2020 that China、uh, increased its share of、uh, global global trade. Also, because consumption patterns they changed, people were not able or willing to go out and eat, to go traveling on holidays, and began investing instead in their own homes, in home improvements, in their gardening, in establishing home offices, and so on. A lot of and a lot of that that was、um, that was made in China, and that's of course also what、uh, led to a lot of the、uh, supply chain issues. At first, we had that very big drop in trade from China, and then we had this very sudden. Very sharp increase in in demand,、uh, so supply chains they were struggling really uh, uh, to uh, uh, follow、uh, the speed of change. But we have seen that normalizing here in、uh, in, in recent months, and、uh, global trade and supply chains、uh, finding a level、uh, that is perhaps in many ways closer to what it was pre-COVID.、Mm, and which European companies newly invested in China last year? See again, it's a little bit about uh, uh, definitions. We have seen some big in, investments、uh, from large companies. We have, you know, BMW、um, earlier in the year making a big investment in、uh, in Shenyang,、uh, taking over、uh, Brilliance's share in the、uh, car manufacturing plant up there. And we have seen、uh, Musk just carrying out a groundbreaking ceremony for a, a, a large warehouse in Shanghai. So there is activity. But it tends to be dominated by large companies and companies who already have an a presence. We do not see so much new companies coming in who are not already in China. We think a lot of that is because of COVID and the difficulties that have been related to international travel. We of course very much hope that now, when traveling is becoming possible again, that we will see companies coming in and that we will see an increase 
in the number of European companies not yet present in China, but who see some of the opportunities here and, and then choose also to uh, invest in China. And Ian, so from your experience, tell us why the foreign companies want to invest in China. What's their consideration? I think China has uh, uh, many things uh, going for it. China is, of course, uh, in itself a very large market, but Chinese supply chains are also very uh, efficient. China has achieved to build some very, very productive and world-class clusters of uh, high-end manufacturing. You can take electronics both in the Yangtze River Delta and in the Pearl River Delta, uh, uh, for example. And I think when you look at the scale uh, and when you look at the quality and when you look at the infrastructure, uh, China still, for many companies in many uh, industries, will continue uh, to provide a very uh, compelling uh, proposition. Uh, not just for its own market here in China, but also for 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 uh, markets uh, globally. China is very good at 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 doing uh, uh, manufacturing, and China is, of course, as we all know, the world's largest uh, uh, trading uh, uh, nation, and and we believe that China will continue to be so uh, for a very lo long time to come. Mm. And you mentioned China is good at manufacturing. So how do you see the trend of China encouraging the foreign companies to invest more in the advanced manufacturing? And what are the opportunities for foreign invested companies here in China? I think that today you are finding cutting edge manufacturing capabilities in China and you are finding, finding incredible uh, talent. Uh, and these are all key ingredients. Uh, for foreign companies in terms of making China an attractive uh, uh, market. Uh, one of the things that we are somewhat con concerned about, that is uh, all, all the talk about uh, decoupling and some companies feeling that, you know, there are some areas where, for example, United States may say that uh, you need to have components that are produced in the United States in China. You will find that some customers say that we can only buy if the the uh, components are being made in China, uh, and that makes it, it it very expensive and very difficult for foreign companies uh, to to invest. So we we want to make sure that the politicization and 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 sort of the uh, decoupling within the tech space uh, is limited to the extent possible, because we do see that this is something that makes China difficult to invest in, uh, except perhaps for the very largest uh, companies or companies that are having a focus on only one uh, big international market, either United States uh, uh, or uh, 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 China. So the opportunities are here, the market is here, the talent is here, but let's watch out uh, also for some of the risk, many of which uh, are uh, politically driven. And I think here I'm speaking uh, uh, to uh, regulators uh, everywhere in the world, not just in China, not just in Europe, not just in the United States. I think we all need to take a look at, at how do we, you know, address security concern in a way that does not impact uh, um, trade and investment in ways that were not intended? Mm. And given the current situation for the China-European business relationship, what do you think is the principle or fundamental of cooperation between the two sides? The way that I see it is that that China and Europe really, really uh, need each other. Uh, Europe is importing vast 
quantities of goods uh, from China every day. I think the value of uh, goods being imported uh, uh, in into to Europe, uh, uh, the value of that is, is around 2 billion uh, euro uh, every day. So, you know, Europe very much depend on European consumers on the ability to get high quality, attractively priced uh, commodities uh, 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 from China. And also increasingly European manufacturing is relying on components, uh, competitively priced, good components uh, sourced in, in, in China. You can turn it around and say that, you know, considering that Europe is importing three times more than China is importing from Europe, uh, China also needs Europe because uh, these gigantic European imports from China are creating millions and millions of job in jobs uh, uh, in China. So when you look at it, I think really that there is a dependency uh, going uh, both directions, which I think uh, is, is good. Uh, what I think we need to focus on is that we continue to address uh, um, issues that there might uh, arise in the relationship. And I think we do need all both in Europe and in China to work uh, towards a level uh, playing field and ensuring that companies from China and Europe, they have uh, equal access to the markets in, uh, in both countries. Mm, so how can the business community in both China and Europe contribute to the healthy and stable development of the uh, bilateral relations? I think always that business by its very na nature uh, is a segment of society that is trying to pragmatically find solutions. Uh, we don't like a, a conflict. I'm not sure anyone really likes conflict, but I think in particular for us as, 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 as companies, we are very uh, solution-oriented. Uh, uh, we like to seek out opportunities. Uh, we depend on dialogue. We encourage uh, a dialogue. And I think when you look at some of the tension that has been uh, globally, I think that business communities are some of those that are able to help enhance the understanding uh, between countries. We are here on the ground, foreigners in, in China and Chinese in Europe. Uh, we are uh, have inserted ourselves in every aspect of, of, of society and have this sort of embeddedness of people from each other side in the societies of, of, of each side, I think is incredibly uh, uh, important. And then I think actually also, you know, people are talking a lot about uh, uh, decoupling, but I actually think it's a good thing to, to be dependent on, on, on each other. Uh, when countries are depending on, on, on each other, uh, there's a much bigger incentive to look for solutions rather than uh, drifting apart, because there will be a cost associated with drifting apart, and we don't want that. Well, that is Jens Oskerland, Vice President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China. Well, with that, we end this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.